You know, when I rediscovered you, your career was history. And you were so hungry to get back in the game, you were drooling in my shoes. But there was decency in you. And now, now you're just another ego-laden bitch with an attitude. Whatever was special about you, you murdered it. Ah! Who the hell do you think you are? All right. Welcome to Highlander Rewatch, the podcast where each and every week we watch another episode of Highlander the series and talk about it in detail. I'm one of your hosts. I'm Keith. We're going to kick off this one with another question. That is, what is your favorite type of sword? Doesn't have to be in the episodes we've seen, but favorite sword. Go. Okay. Uh, This is Keith. Um, I think my favorite type of sword would be like a, I don't know, like a French rapier, rapier. Uh, like a fencing sword. Um, I really like that style of fencing. Uh, I think it's really, I don't know. So I, I kind of like the rules of it, that there's like a system, like, I don't know, the way the way you, f- you, you have to fence, uh, it's orderly, which is something I kind of like about it. There's like, I guess I should say it's elegant. There's an elegance to it, which I, I really like in its simplicity. So This is Eamon. Um, I like the Japanese katana sword. Did uh, you know katana means, means Japanese, Japanese sword? sword. <laughs> According to Samurai Cop. Samurai Cop. <laughs> a movie I'm sure everyone's seen. <laughs> Watch that movie. It's yep. very good. Oh, it's, I, I, I like the, the katana. It's probably redundant to say Japanese sword. Um, it is. I'm yeah. not an expert on it, but uh, they're, I think they look cool. Um, they're very they're efficient, also elegant. I think I would go for kind of akin to like a cavalry kind of saber. I think that's something you get a lot of utility out of in like the Highlander universe. Because like you need something sturdy enough to... To cut off a head, because you do see people in the Highlander universe like cutting off people's heads with rapiers, and I don't and, like, think that's happening. I don't oh, think really? that's medically feasible. Yeah, like, I, don't I, just, so. I just don't think that's a thing that could happen. So no. it's got to be something like with some heft. So I'd say like a saber, or, like a cutlass, kind of like something sh- small that you could like carry around in your you know trench coat pretty easily yeah. and still get the the job done. So. I think everyone should carry a lightsaber. <laughs> <laughs> well, a lightsaber would be my weapon of choice in the Highlander universe. Get your tickets for The Force Awakens, everyone. <laughs> I wish we were getting paid to say that. Uh, Who would win, Ramirez or Yoda? <laughs> <laughs> Who's a better teacher? <laughs> <laughs> Where are we? All right. So, <laughs> is this character? Is this a guest? Is this our first guest? I like. I'm sorry. <laughs> yeah. Oh, and it's Kyle. Kyle, you didn't introduce yourself. I'm Kyle, and I'm going with saber. All right. Keith's got a rapier. Eamon's got a katana. Kyle has got a saber. A saber. All right. So, episode number sixteen. This is the Beast Below. It first aired March sixth, nineteen ninety three. It was directed by Daniel. I'm bad at French names, too. I don't know. Yeah. Um, by Ving Rhames. Ving Rhames. Ving Rhames. He's done a bunch of French stuff, none of which I know. Sorry. Um, And the writer was Marie Chantel Droney. Uh, This is her third episode of four episodes. She also did Mountain Men before, which is one of our favorites. 
and Band of Brothers, which is, I think, we're all unanimous that's that's the best episode so far, yeah. right? Yeah. And this is a freaking weird one. <laughs> yeah. So, okay, Droney. Yep. Uh, so the guest stars in this are Dee Dee Bridgewater. Uh, she doesn't have a lot of acting credits, but she's mostly known because she's a jazz singer. Um, I guess, well, one of her few acting credits. She's in John Styles' uh, Brother from Another Planet. I don't know. Yeah. That's, that's a really classic, like, what, movie from, like, 1984, I yeah. think. Uh, watch it. Uh, but, yeah, she's a jazz singer. Um, yeah. Did a lot of, like, Broadway stuff. Um, yeah, she was Tony in the Award Wiz. winner for yeah. The Wiz. Yeah. Glinda. Yeah, and the, uh, that was the, uh, she was in the original cast of that. And then we also have Francois Guitari, uh, and he's the detective. Oh. And that's about it. So, uh, the IMDb episode description is, Duncan tries to stop an immortal who is a giant and simple <laughs> from killing for an overwashed singer. Overwashed? Overwashed, it says. Over... Is I think like it means joke? washed up. <laughs> <laughs> I, think, I think maybe somebody translated this That's, that's when your sweater oh. shrinks in the wash. <laughs> overwashed. Duncan what? tries to stop. An immortal who is a giant and, and simple. simple. <laughs> from killing, it's got to be washed up. For a second, I thought it was like going to be a, a play of like people talking about like the unwashed, like some like, like the snooty, unwashed. No, like some snooty opera people will like oh, refer yeah. to non-opera fans like unwashed. Mm. It's overwashed. I don't know. It's wow. either way too clever or the dumbest thing ever. <laughs> uh, um, so this episode starts off at the Paris Opera House, which is a great, it's a great setting. I, again, these Paris locations are pretty kick-ass. You couldn't ask for a better place to film. This place is beautiful. So Richie goes and he's like, whoa, check this place out. Like, he's all, like, into it. They're there to see a dress rehearsal of Richie's now new girlfriend, who's really just, like, Parisian Annie. Annie? Yeah. Angie? Whatever her name is. Angie. Angie. Although she's not Parisian. She's she's American, I yeah. suppose. But she, she's kind of like a Angie lookalike. She's a redhead or yep. strawberry blonde. I don't know. And Richie is creeping on her hard. Yeah. He's just watching this performance and licking his lips. <laughs> yeah, literally licking his lips. It's, it's disgusting. Yeah, it's not great. Like, we're just like back to him being like a cartoon wolf again. Like, let's talk about something else that's disgusting. <laughs> the performance they're witnessing. <laughs> yeah, it is. This Bird. thing is a train wreck. We could record a whole episode on this fucking song. We probably Jesus could. <laughs> Christ. All right, so yeah, let's take a listen to just like a little bit of this uh, this musical number they're doing. We won't play the whole thing. This is D.D. Bridgewater with The Long Goodbye on 94.1 Seacubers New Sounds. So yeah, we got ballet dancers here. Uh going in every which way yeah yeah they might as well just be warming up like, yeah. there's no choreography they're just jumping around we got a yacht rock keyboardist here and jenny's just i guess she's the backup yeah she's like backup vocals she's got mom jeans on and a very see-through shirt you can see like a pointy bra very pointy bra and she can't really dance either. Yeah. Like, she's just kind of bouncing. There's Richie looking at his I mean, let's stop it here. Thank you. <laughs> like, I guess thematically, maybe it's interesting. The song is about time? <laughs> yeah. Like, I don't know. I, I wrote the lyrics down. And so here are some of the lyrics. Carolyn, 
the lead singer says, ever since the beginning of time, we speak of love as if nothing changes. I wonder why love, love is a long goodbye. The backup lyrics are the crazy lyrics. So yeah. Jenny is just going 60 seconds in a minute, 60 minutes in an hour. There is 24 hours in every day. <laughs> Ooh, ah. And then seven days a week, 52 weeks in a year, 100 years a century. This goes on and on. And at the end of the song, she even says 10 centuries in a millennium. It's like, <laughs> so it's, there are complete lyrics to this travesty. It's like she's just listing times. Like, oh, it's awful. Well, she says the days of the week, too, right? I didn't catch days of the like Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday. I swear they say that. <laughs> I think here. that's uh, I got a feeling by the Black Eyed Peas. Might be getting this confused. Oh boy, they're equally stupid songs. Yeah. But Dee Dee Bridgewater, the lead singer here, ends up stopping the rehearsal because the spotlight goes on Jenny. Right. And she's like, "What are you doing?" Like. I don't know. And then they go into, like, they have a whole discussion about, like, union issues. (laughs) Like, it gets real specific. But she's the star of the show. That's what we need to know from this, is that she's a diva, and Jenny is just her, like, underling backup singer. And so she is arguing with the manager, like, in the rafters. Yeah, they go for, like, the catwalk. And they have a giant exposition argument. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. About, like, her career and how it tanked, but he rediscovered her, and now she's just being a jerk. So the whole shebang. And somebody is watching this argument, a mysterious figure. Mm -hmm. And then the manager says, you're just an ego-laden bitch with an attitude. (laughs) (laughs) Like roadkill with attitude. Yeah. Lots of things with attitude. They shouldn't have attitude in this show. (laughs) So she slaps him in the face and he storms off. Yep. And and she storms off. Yeah. He's still up there. And all of a sudden, he... (laughs) Yeah. Then he gets the long goodbye. Yeah. <laughs> well, he gets splatted, but right before he takes the dive, Duncan gets his ever-loving, immortal Spidey sense. Yeah, so he knows somebody's there, and presumably that's the person that splatted Mr. Manager. Hi, Mr. Manager. Uh, and for some reason, <laughs> Mr. Manager is, like, covered in flower petals. Yeah. In some yeah. way, for unknown reasons. Well, and and so the police arrive on the scene, and we this is a new a new cop. This guy he looks an awful lot like Detective Cubone, only with, with hair. hair. It's yeah. right. Odd. It's weird. He's his Euro trash levels amped up a little bit. Though. Like he does not look like he's on the job as a cop. Like he's wearing like a black t shirt, and like yeah. it's like. Oh, we should talk about Duncan's look in this scene as well, because Duncan's wearing a turtleneck, of course, a white turtleneck. His jacket doesn't have a lapel. Like, it's a weird early 90s trying to be, like, sleek jacket that's, like, from the future. It's weird. It's, I find it (laughs) (laughs) off-putting. There's a lot of weird costume choices in this episode in particular. Yeah. Yeah, and for some reason, Duncan just has unfettered access to this body. Like yeah. the cops are there, and they're just like, "Oh yeah, you can touch whatever's yeah, he going picks on." Up, like <laughs> we, we don't know what the these pedals. things are. It's like yeah. at some, we eventually find out they're pedals, but I don't think they read on screen. Like I'm like, no. does he have like? Paper, I literally like, stopped. I stopped the thing, and I was like, "What the fuck is he talking about?" <laughs> and he's like, "Look at these." It's like, stop touching the evidence. <laughs> yeah, like he might as well just said, "Like, hey, can I have these clues?" And they're like, "Yeah, whatever." Fucking <laughs> yeah, just touch that body. That's not evidence or anything. <laughs> what do we need with it? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so Duncan then, on this topic of unfettered access, just bu- like busts up into the star of the show's dressing room. Yep, and he's uh, questioning her basically about this crime, and she's like, "Oh, are you w- with the police?" Nope. So Duncan, while he's in her dressing room, sees wildflowers on her desk, 
And he's like, oh, where did these come from? And she's like, I don't know. They were just there. And so now we're putting the pieces together that they were flower petals, I guess, on the body. She's got flower petals in her office. So. And these flowers only grow in the forest. Right. It's a clue. Bum, bum, bum. And we get ourselves a flashback. Right. Because immediately Duncan puts this together. This is based on flowers like <laughs> that are found in like a singer's dressing room. They yep. get flowers. all Like, uh, this is so crazy. Yeah. Like, <laughs> I will say about this flashback, it's beautifully shot, and it's a really good location. This is a, I think this is a good flashback as well, also for being a very simple flashback. Like, yeah. there's no set for this right. flashback. It's just costumes. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's They flashback to 1634, the Watcher Chronicles say. Um, they're just in a forest, and it's a very, like, Frankenstein-esque sort of scene, I guess. Yeah. Like, people are chasing... Mob with pitchforks yeah, and the got, whole nine yards. Right, and the music is really, I think, pretty good. Yeah, I like, have a note. It's, it's, like, it's, uh, it's just like an oboe playing the melody, and then there's, like, a choir chanting, and it's, like, it's intense and very haunting and the music adds a lot to this episode yeah notwithstanding the intro yeah right (laughs) but it's a stark contrast to the music we were just forced to hear (laughs) yeah but then and duncan and the costumes look great like duncan is in his kind of full-on barbarian kind of gear still because it's that long ago and he's riding a white horse yeah which is cool like it like bucks up when he arrives it's like it could could all be in slow motion it's all heroic stuff it's good this is good Uh, it's a good sequence and we're treated though to some amazing acting from the kind of dirt farmers who are out to get this immortal yeah it's not just bad acting but it's like weird writing as well and again this is from like what's her name marie droney what are you hunting a beast that bears no name sir a demon that dwells hereabouts demon has he horns none sir but when he's cut down he doesn't die he springs up somewhere else like the mushrooms that grow here at our feet what <laughs> and like, Duncan's like mushrooms like he speaks in the most like florid language he's like oh like when the beast is cut down he he springs up like the mushrooms at our feet like it's like this guy's supposed to be like a peasant farmer and he speaks in these like eloquent sentences that are really florid it's very bad also it's so weird because it's like oh how do you know he's a demon well we know because we killed him yeah <laughs> it's like well we just found a man and murdered him and then he didn't die so yeah oof, good thing we did that well something weird about this too is that duncan seems to be like uh, laughing at the fact that they think it might be a demon but back then people believed in that kind of stuff and he Duncan, uses that to by his the advantage. way duncan you are a goddamn mythical creature yeah and whose whole family, like, exiled him for being a demon. demon. Yeah. So is it really that, like, his incredulity is weird vicissitudes? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, I guess he should he should feel pretty bad about, like, relate to this guy. Because sure. he, he was kicked out as a demon and knows what that yeah. feels like. And he hasn't met this person yet. But right. he just knows someone is being hunted as right. a demon. Yeah. Uh, who may or may not know what's going on or whatever. Anyway, so we end up finding out. This thing they're hunting, this thing, I already said thing instead of person. It's a person. <laughs> this person they're hunting is like a Quasimodo sort of character. Yeah, he's a, like a gentle hunchback. giant. Yes. And he's um, picking some flowers. Yeah, he's doing nothing. He's just picking flowers. So Duncan saves him. But in the, in the scuffle, uh, like all these villages are attacking. What we found, his name is Ursa, we find out later. Duncan ends up having to stab Ursa to stop Ursa from hurting these villagers. And right. so Duncan plays on their superstition. And he's like, everyone get out of here. He's like, I'm going to bury the body. I know how to like bury a demon so it won't rise again. But if you stay here, you will grow roots and be stuck in the forest forever. I thought it was funny. Yeah. I, I like yeah. Duncan being very clever. Oh, oh, Duncan. <laughs> Ursa wakes up and Duncan's like, all right, we got to get out of here. We got a boogie. 
Yeah, also, the, the stabbing's pretty brutal. Like, Duncan, like, stabs him, like, in the kidney. Yeah. It's, like, pretty brutal looking. Yeah. It's like his big like, old Scottish sword. Yeah. And, like, the way Ursa's, like, throwing around the peasants, it looks pretty cool. Like Ursa's costuming is pretty good, too. Yeah. Yeah, he's got, like, a... It's like a very cobbled together piece of like, mm-hmm. it's like bits and pieces of leather and like fur and back in the, the present day. And the diva is playing the piano and singing some copyright avoiding ooze. <laughs> <laughs> so she's just like generically singing something when some, the Ursa just lobs some flowers onto the stage. So he comes, he, invented, he comes out then. Right? And confronts. Oh, yeah. And then, they, yeah. then they talk. And they talk. And he explains that he killed the manager because he hurt her. But, yeah. He didn't. She really hit him. Yeah. Like, he just kind of verbally said she was, like, a bitch. Like. Yeah. That was Which it. She was. Yeah. <laughs> She's being very unpleasant. He should have lobbed her off the thing. Yeah. But he loves her voice. That's yeah. true. He loves it. Uh, Dee Dee Bridgewater thinks he is, like, her guardian angel. It's like, you're my guardian murderer. <laughs> I was in no jeopardy, and then you killed someone for me. I don't understand. <laughs> yeah, I don't either. yeah, like, you should be very afraid of this man. Yeah. yeah. We cut to the church, and Duncan is asking Darius if he remembers this character. Right. And Darius does. His name's Ursa, and he was a gardener at the Abbey of St. Gobain. Uh, before the revolution but they tore the abbey down and so presumably he doesn't have a home anymore so then they sit down to drink tea <laughs> it's this crazy scene yeah. where duncan's like oh this isn't any of your like weird moss tea is it and he's like no and he sips it. he's like it's from a mold form he says <laughs> it's like what like, and duncan spits it out everywhere for big laughs big laughs yeah all i could think of the whole time was in uh the road not taken. The fat Dave Foley character going, yeah, yeah. Tea. tea! I hate tea! I hate <laughs> what tea! What is this? <laughs> and that's basically what Duncan does here. Yeah. But again, I, I do like to see Duncan. It's like, an, a Duncan six episodes ago would not have been the butt of a joke. Yeah. yeah. Like at all. So this is kind of nice. Thing. Maybe Darius brings it out of him. Or yep. it's just better writing. <laughs> Probably better writing. Uh, <laughs> uh, so then we get another flashback. And this is kind of picking up the last flashback we saw. So... Duncan and Ursa leave whatever village, I guess, they had been camped out at. And Duncan explains, it's like, you have to leave this area. And so Duncan takes him to an abbey right? Um, to kind of hide out because he'll be safe on holy ground. Duncan explains the rules of the game. And again, Ursa is mentally disabled. Uh, so, like, isn't quite clear what is... It's, yeah, it's very unclear what his deal is. Yeah. What's getting through to him or not. But Ursa, like, is drawn to the music yep. as soon as he gets there. The monk um, chanting. We should say, um, I don't think we mentioned this, but it comes up later... So after Ursa throws the manager off the rafter, the way he escapes is he goes through these catacomb tunnels that are, like, connected to the opera house. Right. Which Duncan is about to discover through some kind of obscene, like, just absurd Adam West Batman logic. Yeah, so we're back in the present, and Darius and Duncan are trying to figure out, like, what happened to Ursa? And yeah, it is complete Batman logic. They're like, Darius makes some comedy. He's like, oh, like the Abbey's gone. He's like, I'm sure it's like just a, a park now with its own uh, subway station. And Duncan's like, a subway? Tunnels. Ursa loves, <laughs> like, is from a cave. He loves tunnels. Like, and then he's like, well, but, and then they're like, huh, that makes sense. And they're all like in agreement. And they're like, but how does that explain how we got to the opera house? And it's like, music. He loves music <laughs> and beauty. That's how he got And it's like, they piece this together, like, out of no... It's so crazy. That's the other from whole cloth. You know that Ursa, he always appreciated music and beauty. <laughs> Duncan, who met him for what would 
be less than a couple days, it would seem. Yeah. And it seems like Duncan introduced him to music. Yeah. He was like, yes. what is this new thing? Right. <laughs> so Jenny comes to visit Carolyn, who's Dee Dee Bridgewater in the opera house. And so first off, Carolyn is wearing Beetlejuice level <laughs> clothes. Like, oh, oh she has like black and white yeah. clothing, like Edward Scissorhands hair. Like, it's nuts. Um, yeah, she looks like a referee with a bird on her head <laughs> and, uh, and rock candy for earrings. It is yeah. weird. This haircut's a mess. So this is, a, I think, a weird scene. So Jenny comes in and she mentions that, like, she's been working on some new songs, like, with the band. And, like, again, I'm, like, a little confused about, like, what the nature of this group is. Like, I just kind of assumed everybody there was a backing band for G.D. Bridgewater. Like, this is right. her comeback show. She's, like, a star. And these are just kind of, you know, hired musicians to play whatever tunes they need them to play. But it, they kind of make it sound like this is, like, a band that, like, has been together for a little while. Yeah. yeah. It's very strange. Um, like, there's band meetings. Mm-hmm. Like, I'm not really sure if Carolyn is really the head of it. Like, it seems more of, like, a team effort thing. So, anyway, Jenny's like, oh, I've, I've been working on some new songs. Maybe, uh, like, maybe we could try him. And T.D. Bridgewater's like, oh, that's that's cool. Like, I'll, I'll, I'll try him out. And maybe if they work well, we can incorporate him to the show. And then Jenny's like, well, I thought I could do him. And so T.D. Bridgewater is, like, kind of perturbed at this. Like, yeah. she hides it. It's weird. Like, I, as far as I'm concerned, Jenny is completely out of line. For her yeah. to suggest that, like, they perform these songs, I think is fine. But as far as I'm concerned, at least, again, I'm not sure what this show is, but... This seems like it's the D.D. Bridgewater show. And for her to just be like, yeah, I know I'm just your backup singer. And this is like your name's on the marquee. But can I just sing songs instead? (laughs) It's like, no, you can't. Like, obviously, you're the backup singer. Why would you think this was okay? I don't know. I, I think it's it's an odd like setup because it is. I think they they they're they're using this interaction to set up Dee Dee Bridgewater as being a not nice person, which yeah. we've already established from the argument of the manager that she's not great. Right. But I think this is to like reinforce it. It's like look how mean she is. She won't even let her sing her song. It's like she shouldn't let her sing that song. Yeah. Like that's not uh, the point. Yeah. yeah. I don't know. Just a weird little tidbit. I think Jenny is wrong, and that's why I think Dee Dee's plan to murder her is justified. Justified. <laughs> Which is so crazy, because she could just say no. Yeah. She could just be like, can I do this? No. She could even be like, no, and you're fired. Yeah, <laughs> And then right. the threat's gone. Yeah. Like, <laughs> it's, just, it's just like, hey, but maybe I should manipulate a killer I barely know into <laughs> killing her, too. So, meanwhile, Duncan is going to take the case. He's going down into the sewers to try to find his old pal, Ursa. And he and Richie are having a pretty funny exchange over the manhole cup. Yeah, this this conversation rings to me just like Richie's like nature conversation. Like, yeah. oh, there's like birds and bugs, bugs and stuff. <laughs> I get lost in a nursery once. <laughs> yeah. So here's Richie's thoughts on sewers. You're going to go down there and look for this big giant named Ursa who's like crawling around the opera, you think? That's right. And I'm going on my own. Okay, so I take it you were around when they built the Paris sewers, right? You probably know them like the back of your hand. No, I was actually not too much into sewers, you know? Well then, how do you know where you're going? Well, as the old saying goes, I'm going north by northwest. Well, actually, I'm going that way. What if your compass doesn't work down there? I'll get lost! And don't come after me! Right, sure. Oh, great, big, dumb, giant, ugly, Neanderthal, immortal piece of... Oh, man. <laughs> <laughs> A big, dumb, ugly, Neanderthal, immortal piece of... Ah, man. 
But, like, what happens after this is that Duncan has been going down there, and Richie's lost, apparently, and stumbles into Duncan. But Richie went down there, like, seconds. Seconds, <laughs> <laughs> seconds afterwards. Like, Duncan probably isn't done climbing the ladder yet, and Richie is right there above him. Like, how does Gets he lost know? immediately. Yeah, like, yeah. What, does he just, like, put on a blindfold and not follow the only other source of sound and light. And I, I, I'm going to keep harping on this just because I think it's a big, well, for me, it's a big deal. Like Duncan being such a stoic hero in those early episodes, it's like not too much fun. Duncan and Richie having a good time, but also like just the, uh, this version of Duncan is like more adventurous. Like him yeah. going down this, the, the sewer, he's like, well, I'm just going to do it. Like if it break, like I'll get lost. Like, I don't know. Like he's a little bit more like, I'm going to go get it done. Like, Give yeah, I don't done. know. It has a sense of adventure to it. I think the old Duncan didn't. Yeah. The new one is kind of stepping out of that, that role a little bit. So. But what if Magnetic North doesn't work when you're 10 feet underground? <laughs> I think you have bigger problems yeah. to worry about. So at this point, uh, Ursa shows up at the opera, which is kind of too bad. Like, I guess they, it's like a little switcheroo. Like, Duncan goes down the, the sewer, and Ursa actually is at this point coming up from the sewer. So they're missing each other. So I was wondering about this. Like, obviously, Duncan has no good plan about how to maneuver around the sewer. <laughs> so why doesn't he just stake out the opera? Because yeah. that's where he knows he's going to come to. Yeah, like, you've kind of got bait in the form of the music. That's true. So it seems like you should use that, as opposed to just, like, going, Whoa, where am I going? <laughs> I hope my compass works. Unless he's trying to find out. I mean, he's right outside the opera house. Maybe he's trying to figure out how Ursa gets into the opera. Oh, that's a good point. Like an entry point? That makes yeah. sense. I buy that. Because then, I mean, if he doesn't know how that happens, like, if he stakes out the opera, he won't know where Ursa's going to pop up from. Maybe that's the plan. Uh, Ursa then shows Carolyn, the diva, uh, like the access to the underground catacombs and everything. So she's now in on this Ursa world. And she's wearing <laughs> some kind of weird yellow, like April O'Neil outfit. She I don't know what this is. A jump, like it's like a yellow satin jumpsuit with a yeah. purple cape. It's crazy. <laughs> yep. I hear that she looks like she is like a Disney villain. Like, yeah. She's like out of yeah. a Disney She kind of is a Disney villain. Yeah. And the fact that this episode's sort of a musical reinforces <laughs> yeah. that. Um, so Duncan and Richie eventually stumble across each other in the catacombs. And we have another bit of dialogue here, which echoes this very strange writing style that that villager had, like where he, sp he speaks like he shouldn't speak that way. Like, uh, let's just play this clip and we'll talk about it. Boy, am I glad to see you. The feeling is a mutual. I told you to stay by the manhole cover and then go back. Go back? I forgot my ball of twine. You're lost. Mac, I'm wandering around this place turning like fish belly white growing these phosphorescent tendril out of my forehead like some bottom dwelling sea urchin. Quiet. What, what am I what? talking about, Richie? Like, it seemed like he didn't even know where that was going. He's like, I've started this sentence. How do I get out of it? Fish, belly, tendril, loin. Uh, I don't know. Words, he says phosphorescent tendrils. This is from a, a, a child that has not graduated high school. Like, it's a high school dropout for all intents and purposes. And it's like he's speaking in the craziest, like, most poetic way that's, about yeah, being that's the, that's the line for poetic now? <laughs> what? I, I don't Phosphorescent know. tendrils. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's, it's very florid language. He would, yeah. Richie music, would never music, music to my ears. Yes. Richie would never speak like this. This is crazy time. Hey, Kaminsky, show you didn't come by to discuss the viscousitudes of the antique trade or... So they, they bump into Ursa, right? In these catacombs. And it's dark, and he doesn't recognize Mac. Yeah. And just 
takes him downtown pretty easily. And Ursa has a, an enormous sword that I think is pretty cool, but it's just like a big chopper. Like, I don't know. It's almost like a sickle. I was trying to do some research and find out like what kind of sword it is. It could be, and there's some sword experts I know listening, so let us know. Is it a Depika Kopesh? It's an Egyptian sword? Huh. Why would he have that? I though? don't know. That's yeah. from the French countryside. I don't know. Uh, but it's a it's a strange, like, it's kind of like a, a sickle, but not on... Yeah, it did have, like, a curve or yeah. whatever. It, looks like, it does look like a piece of farm equipment. Yeah. <laughs> but it's big and cool. Yeah, it is cool. And Duncan and Richie both get... Ursid. Yeah, Ursid. Because <laughs> he's also... It's, that wasn't clear in the first scene, because Duncan's riding a horse for most of the time. This guy's huge. Right, he's... Yeah. And the first time they show him, he's all hunched down, like Quasimodo style. When he actually stands up, he's a very big man. After this encounter, we're back at the barge now, and Richie's getting, like, patched up by Tess. She displays such disgust for this guy, <laughs> Ursa. She's asking, she's like, she's like, why is he down there? Why doesn't he recognize you? I thought he was your friend. Like, all this <laughs> stuff. And it's like, Tess, he's <laughs> mentally ill. Like, he has serious problems. And you're like, ugh. Like, yeah. I, I don't think you, you can apply, like, the same logic. This guy, he has, like, a mental handicap. Like, I think you need to cool out. Like, she's just so disgusted by him. Even that, it's, like, dark and it's in the sewer. And he probably hasn't seen him since the 1600s or whatever. Right. Like, so, in defense of Tessa, he did try to murder Duncan with a sword. Like, let's be clear true. about what the stakes are. She's, why, she doesn't know this guy. She's not invested in his well-being. And he's murdered someone and almost killed Duncan. I feel like if I'm Tessa, I'm like, why are we wasting so much effort on this guy? Waste him. Like, he's dangerous. Well, I would just leave him alone. Yeah. If they did, he, as we're about to find out, he would oh, murder <laughs> Jenny. So, right. like, leaving him alone isn't really an option. He has tried to harm Duncan, and he's, like, a dangerous person. I don't know. I'm a little least... I agree Tessa's coming on a bit strong, but I don't think it's unprovoked. Like, her, t- the two most important people to her just got attacked by this guy. That's true. Well, you that know. Jenny has it coming. She's trying to steal that spotlight. Yep. <laughs> and, and, and the problem is that the diva of this show just doesn't have the gumption to fire her. Yeah. Right. <laughs> <laughs> Ugh, I'm, t- I'm too much of a wuss to fire this person. Let me get my giant to kill her. <laughs> So there's a weird, after this, we're back at the opera house and Duncan is visiting. And again, looks awesome. There's this huge wide shot of like the grand staircase as they're walking up. Which uh, Duncan puts on his members only jacket. So he's got like a pink sweatshirt and a members only jacket. <laughs> yeah. And he goes to see Jenny, uh, who's wearing like, has her hair back in a ponytail and is wearing like a baseball hat. Uh, she looks yeah. like a small, ill child. Yes. I thought she was a boy. Like when I first saw her, I yeah. was like, oh, who's this character? <laughs> so... Two things I wanted to say about this scene. Like, the scene doesn't really do much. No. It just kind of is like, Jenny thinks that Carolyn's not a nice person. That's what it establishes. But so the two things I wanted to say was, they, the, the establishing shot for this scene is this big, beautiful opera house, right? And then the, the filming of it is a just a straight-on shot <laughs> of Duncan and Jenny talking to each other, like, looking side to side. Yeah. There's no cuts. There's not like a one shot, two shot, like reverse shot thing. It's nothing. And it's like, this is the most boring thing I think Highlanders ever filmed. Like, and they're in the most beautiful place they could possibly be. And it's like, you don't want to just turn the camera a little bit so we can see like something. So anyway, it's crazy. And then this conversation ends with the most baffling line. So Jenny's walking away. She turns around and she's like, oh, look, I hope you don't think that. And then Duncan goes, no, I don't. And then Jenny goes, okay, bye. And that's it. And it's like, huh? No, no. He okay, was, bye. He's trying to figure out 
he knows that Ursa is working with, he suspects, I believe, that Ursa is working with someone in the theater. He's got a reason for doing this. He's asking her all these questions to figure out if it's her. Well, no, he suspects Carolyn already. Yeah, he does. But yeah. I think that's the, the thing they're talking about. So Jenny says, does, wants Jenny to make said, sure that she's like, oh, you're not, you're not thinking think, me. You're right? not thinking that I had something. Oh, I get it. I get Duncan it. Yeah. says, because he says, I don't now. Like, okay. I've spoken to you. Like, I don't. Right think it's you i get it because also she would theoretically have an incentive because she's the backup singer if she was like jealous she might want to get the star out of the show so she could play a bigger role yeah no, he's, i think it's an okay, okay. It's yeah. a little I, I was confused work. about the context it's, of that line yeah. i was just like huh like, i didn't think i didn't like pause it and think about it for a minute yeah but i think that i think that was what they were attempting to do because like she has she's like evasive she doesn't want to talk about it and like right. kind of okay. pressing her I thought this line was funny to me. Maybe it's not funny. But Jenny says about Caroline, she can sing anything. Jazz, opera, that's it. Doesn't have anything else. <laughs> Granted, those two things aren't very similar, but <laughs> that's amazing. Next, we, we go upstairs to a rehearsal. Dee Dee Bridgewater is, I guess, having like a band meeting. And she's saying that she wants to be the new manager of the band because she doesn't think... They should give 25% to a manager. It's like 25%. That's not, that's not plausible. Like that's not realistic. Like no manager really makes 25%. And the only reason I call this out as being like odd that it's in the script, this is written by like an industry person. Like this person by all intents and purposes has a manager and I guarantee they don't pay them 25%. Like, these people are from Hollywood. Like, does, do they not? Are they not cued into like the reality of what's around them? Like, twenty five percent? No. Like, fifteen percent <laughs> is like topping out basically for a manager. So it's like they said that it's like Dee Dee Bridgewater, the person who said the line. I'm sure she has a manager, and right. I bet she doesn't pay him twenty five. Like, nobody was like, "Hey, you should just knock that down to like 50, Like, even fifteen percent is reasonable to be like, "Hey, like, I don't think we should give fifteen percent of our like take to some guy." That's maybe like, okay. Frank was a very expensive manager. Maybe, maybe who knows what he was getting them. In Frank, his or as she says, blazer. yeah, as she says, Frank was a parasite. It's like, <laughs> it's like yeah, way to talk ill of the dead. Yeah. This guy's, like this guy's body is still warm. <laughs> <laughs> They're having the meeting over his body. <laughs> she wants Jenny kicked out. Also, yep. at this point, she's like, it's not working out. And again, this just, I, I don't know what the dynamic of this band is. Because like we said earlier, why doesn't she just fire her? It, it seems yeah. like it's her show. It seems like the keyboard guy kind of runs the show. Yeah. And that's yeah. really weird. It's like, who is this asshole? <laughs> also, I took note of what the band is. So it seems pretty normal. It's like there's a keyboard player, a drum set, bass guitar, regular guitar, and then the guy just on a timpani. <laughs> uh, and I guess in the song we listen to, there is a timpani. Yeah. But I guess that's their normal band makeup. Richie and Jenny do show up. Jenny still is kind of dressed like an ill child, but then she like takes off her hat and reveals that she's a real girl. Um, (laughs) (laughs) So then Richie starts jamming along to the music (laughs) and it is weird. He's just sitting there like kind of bobbing his head in no real direction. Like he's like punch drunk or something. Yeah, (laughs) And... It just doesn't match the music. Nope. And it's so odd. And there's like three different shots of it. Yeah. Too. yeah. So in the meantime, Carolyn goes to the basement. I guess she's looking for Ursa. But Duncan catches her going down to the, the, to the basement. He pops out with a flashlight. He's like, boo! That's <laughs> <laughs> crazy. Um, so she's like, oh, I wasn't doing anything. Um, so she then walks, like Duncan follows her into the costume room. 
and the costumes in this room. And she's like going through them like and pulling stuff down like this is for the show. It's crazy. Like, are they putting on a production of, like, Joseph and the Amazing Dead? Yeah. <laughs> it's all, like, these sparkly, like, Middle Eastern-looking robes and crowns. It's nutso. So she ends up finding a dagger. Meanwhile, I guess Ursa is going to kidnap Jenny. Ursa is, like, upstairs kidnapping Jenny. And all of a sudden, Duncan, like, I don't, I can't tell if it's the buzz or not. I got the impression it wasn't. Like, they don't have a big buzz moment. But, like, he gets a feeling, and then he just starts booking it. Like, he just takes off across the opera. Like, he knows what's happening. Like, Ursa's there or whatever. And I wasn't sure what triggered that. I thought she screamed. I thought that there was a scream before he runs. Is there? I I thought so. I can't remember. She takes the dagger to Ursa and uses that to convince her that Jenny was going to try to murder her. Uh Because I guess Ursa's having second thoughts about kidnapping and killing Jenny. But eventually he decides he's going to do it, spurred on by this dagger. Also, side note, why is there a sharp-edged weapon in a costume? Who did that? Yeah. Yeah. Fire, fire that person. <laughs> Maybe it's like one of those mime knives from yeah. mime our previous knives. episode. So Richie and Duncan are in hot pursuit of Ursa, who's now down in the catacombs. And Duncan finds a, like a lamp on the ground. He then pours fuel out of the lamp onto a stick. <laughs> and then lights the stick on fire to make, like, a torch. But it's, why didn't you just light the lamp? <laughs> the lamp could have been broken. I guess it was broken. But I thought it was funny as I was watching it. I was like, wait, like, use the lamp. And then Risty says, well, at least with this you don't need batteries. <laughs> <laughs> so they go in hot pursuit of Ursa. They now know the caves because of their prior expedition. But at one point, Richie catches up to Ursa, and Ursa just backhands him, yeah. like, <laughs> into a coma. Yeah. Like, destroys him like he's got tweeting birds around his yeah. head basically so when duncan goes over him richie does like a triple take of like trying to get up and falling back down it's kind of funny at this point duncan and richie rescue jenny but ursa gets away so ursa just like he doesn't kill her he just leaves her down there with like a chunk of bread yeah. right is that what that is i think it yeah. looks like a sponge because the light is so <laughs> Yeah, dark. I thought like it was a seashell or something. I was like, what is this? He's heading toward. <laughs> Whatever it is, it just doesn't read well yeah. in like the dim light. So it's like, here you go. Bye. Yeah. So like, I guess he doesn't want to kill her, but he still wants to make Dee Dee happy. But yeah. Duncan and Richie come across her. And they, they find her. They rescue her. So the next scene is just in the barge. And this is one of those like n- nonsense scenes that doesn't do anything. Like, yeah. They're back at the barge. The, the new police person's there, and he's like, we'll be looking for him. Yeah. They're like, thanks. And then Richie's like, everything's going to be just fine. And then it cuts. And it's like, yep. pointless, like, move on. Cut to Dee Dee. She's dressed as the shredder. <laughs> <laughs> She's wearing this, like, from Ninja- crazy. Yeah. yeah. From Ninja Turtles 2? Like, yeah. With abs- the, the purple. Is the that purple cape. Two? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> That's, it, like, maybe even super shredder. Yeah, She's super shredder. Yeah. <laughs> She's dressed as. She's got this crazy, like, hooded cape on. It's yeah. insane looking. And she's she's always like has her hands like she's holding the hood up. Yeah, right. Like for the rest of the episode, her hands are just like on the hood. You just need a better hood at that point. Yeah. So she's a hood is a hands free device. That's right. So she's telling Ursa at this point that Jenny's going to try to kill her, uh, and you just have got to stop her. But Duncan shows up. Yeah. And I, I like that he spoke to like Duncan introduces himself to Ursa, and he like speaks in a much thicker Scottish accent. To, yeah. Like, convey who he is from like long ago which i thought was fun but then ursa or uh carolyn is just like get him yep go get him ursa like she's really irk what's the word irk irking him on nope egging yeah 
Ursing him on. him on. So this fight is kind of wild. Yeah. It's it feels very unlike all the other fights that yeah. have been in the show. In part because Duncan's heart's not really in it. So right. it's like he's yeah, really Duncan like refuses to fight in the beginning of it. Right. Until he like is he's kind of forced to pull his sword out just to defend himself. Yeah. So it, like this fight, it starts on the stage and it goes up into the rafters, and Ursa's basically out for blood, and it goes onto the roof of the opera house. I think this is awesome. Like watching this, I was like, this is epic. Like all the sword fights in this show need to be like this. Yeah, like, it is really epic. And Duncan's getting <laughs> and again, like, the music is super awesome. Yeah, the music's great. Like this is an exciting sequence. Too bad it has to be surrounded by all this bullshit. <laughs> Like, Duncan's getting thrown around by yeah. Ursa because he's, you know, the super strong guy. And they're, like, flipping off of roofs and, yeah. like, falling down. They're sliding. Things. It's really It cool. actually looks dangerous yeah. also. Like, it looks like they were in possibly actual danger filming <laughs> this sequence. Which is super cool. It has one of the weirdest shots in the entire show in it, though. There's, like, this weird... At one point, Duncan gets, like, hurled down the, the roof. And he, right. like, stops himself at the edge. And then Ursa... Like it's a slide or something. Yeah, it's slides like, down with his sword. Yeah, he's gonna skewer him through the slide. Yeah, and you get like this weird like POV shot from Ursa's perspective as he's yeah. doing the slide. Right. It's so <laughs> weird. Slide POV, sword POV. But yeah, the fight's got a ton of movement in it, and it's like super physical. And Duncan looks pretty messed up at the end. And yeah, like, it's, a, it's, a, it's a great a lot. fight. It's epic. But like the epic stakes aren't very high. Like the stakes are high between. Duncan and Ursa, but like beyond that, there's not much at stake here. I mean, everything feels kind of the plot feels very like trivial. Yeah, like yeah. everything just feels a little petty, right? Because also, there's no point for it. Because why are we trying to kill this person? Yeah, yeah. So that part's a little disappointing. But, but at the end of it, and oh, it should be noted that Carolyn is watching this whole thing. Kind yeah, of. like she's up on the roof too. Kind yep, of checking out what's going on. Ursa ends up falling off the opera roof. Right. And so, of course, Carolyn, not knowing anything about Immortals, thinks he's dead. And she's like, ah! And she, <laughs> and she runs off. Yeah. Um, Duncan goes down to follow her. And he confronts her. And uh, I, we should play this clip, I guess, of... She, she reveals her true feelings about how she felt about Ursa. And, of course, at this point, Ursa has just woken up. And he's overhearing this. Yeah, we were friends. He was a lobotomy case. And you never cared for him. He must have hit you over that head. He was a simpleton. He belonged in some sewage center. Aw, poor Ursa. Heartbroken. Yeah. So she's freaked out and she runs away. And Ursa chases after her because he's now mad at her. But then, splat, gets hit by a taxi. <laughs> yeah, she gets plowed over good. Yeah. I laughed when that happened. Yeah, me too. <laughs> I was just like, I just went, really? Like, that's how this is, this like yeah. nonsense plot is ending with a cab driver? <laughs> also, like, the real victim in this story is the cab driver. Yeah. <laughs> he's very upset. I'm sure. And his insurance rates are going to be terrible. <laughs> so then the way this episode, like, the dating mob of this episode is Duncan and Ursa are fast friends again. <laughs> Uh, I guess they've made up, and Duncan brings Ursa back to the chapel. Apparently, they've rebuilt it, and he's like, oh, the brothers are going to take care of you, and Ursa walks off, and then Duncan kind of looks off into the distance and is like, <laughs> like, he chuckles to himself, like, yeah. as if to say, you old so-and-so, like, what? <laughs> that's, that's our Ursa. Yeah, that's just our guy who killed a guy. Right, yeah. so, like, we're still missing that. At the beginning of this episode, exactly. oh, right. he, he's a murderer. He's the 
the manager right. for no reason. Yeah, like a I, perfectly I can, fine human being. I can essentially yeah. like my intent's purpose is like forgive him for trying to kill Jen. Like he is like a misguided per- like he was being told wrong information and like he acted poorly on that. Right. But the first time, like <laughs> not that, like the manager he wasn't did even nothing. manipulated. The manager yeah. did nothing wrong other than to actually just manage the band responsibly. Like, <laughs> like he was looking out for everyone else in the band. He earns that twenty five percent. Yeah, yeah. And like the the worst thing he did was wear those absurd clothes he was wearing. <laughs> yeah. He was wearing like a yellow jacket with a bunch of like weird patches on yeah. it. It was kind of silly. That was the worst thing he did. Yeah, and he like berated this woman who was being horrible. Also, he was physically assaulted by her. Yeah, so <laughs> yes. like. This guy is not safe. Yeah. No. <laughs> he's not a good guy. Like, I know he's kind of damaged, but it's like, man, Duncan. I know he's kind of damaged. Good Come job. on. Good job, Duncan. He's not getting 25% for that. Yeah. So what are our thoughts on this episode? It's a weird one. The yeah. flashback is great, and the fight at the end is great. Everything else you could flush down the toilet. Like, <laughs> Yeah, I feel like certain elements of just like the quality of this episode like certain elements of that are really high yeah like a lot of things are pretty well shot the locations are great yeah like, you know what the, a lot of effort went into this yeah but like the someone needed to go back and like yeah. look at this script also it's, yeah. it's been a while been a while since um we we talked about like them grafting other stories onto highlander yeah stories like and this, and this like, kind of reeks it's like oh this is just either like a quasimodo or like phantom of the opera yeah thing stuck onto highlander so it didn't deal i don't know it could it could have just been better I don't the know. phantom of the highlander phantom yeah of the highlander. all the catacomb exploration stuff was pretty cool too those are all the real catacombs apparently. yeah wow, wow. yeah they, they like went down there and filmed they said it was really hot and really dusty Ugh. and not pleasant believe that yeah. yeah also another bit of behind the scenes trivia apparently in paris you're required to get your shooting permits uh 10 days in advance before you shoot uh and it was just one woman who worked the permit desk at like city hall and she would go to like she would be done for the day at noon and wow. it didn't matter who was standing in line according to bill panzer like you'd be waiting for your permits noon boom, done and so they said it was really hard to get shooting permits a lot because wow. they said they, they wouldn't finish these scripts until like seven or eight days sometimes before shooting. Yikes. They didn't quite know where they'd be shooting all the time, hmm. which I thought was pretty interesting. Yeah. Um, I guess we should talk maybe a little about the Watcher Chronicles. Yeah, I'm curious about this guy. About Ursa. Uh, it says, no known birthday for Ursa. Um, it says his Watcher was Father Jean Patrick. Um, and Kyle, this plays into what you were saying earlier in the episode Eyewitness, I think, about... You mentioned it would be a good idea to have watchers in the police force as a way to like conceal uh, what was going on, and this this kind of plays into it. It's like oh, like there was a, uh, a a watcher in the priesthood who was kind of almost looking after Ursa, like he could make sure that things were kept under wraps, maybe for Ursa, which I thought was kind of interesting. Mm-hmm. Uh, and of course, these watcher chronicles have like kind of a, a form they follow. It's like born, first died, who their teacher was, all that sort of stuff, uh, and it always has a thing for occupation. Uh, so, like, Duncan's is, you know, antique dealer. Like, so they've used this form for Ursa. So it says occupation, <laughs> feral creature. <laughs> is that what he writes on his taxes? <laughs> feral creature. <laughs> That's kind of insulting to him. Oh. I thought he had a job at the Abbey that they say in the episode. Yeah, <laughs> they could have put Gardner. Yeah, Gardner <laughs> is the answer. Feral, <laughs> Feral creature. creature. 
Wild child. Uh, and then I actually, I just, uh, I have his whole like entry here just because I figured it's just, it's another one of those like absurd watcher entries. So I figured I'd read it. Uh, it says, Ursa is a strange and miraculous child of God. <laughs> <laughs> what? So oh, this is written by a priest. I guess that does make sense. That does right? make sense. Yeah. Uh, some might call him misbegotten, but Ursa has an astounding appreciation of the beauty of God's world. Whether it is the flowers, which Ursa tends with strict devotion and surprising tenderness, or the voices of the other brothers raised in harmony, Ursa finds the meaning of his life in the beauty he finds around him. Would that we all could do the same? <laughs> it's like, it's... He's also a savage, heartless murderer. <laughs> And a feral creature. And a feral, feral creature. <laughs> oh. So I'm, I'm guessing Ursa is not a recurring character on this show. No, but I don't think so. Um, good fight, though. Yeah, that's the that's the saving grace of this episode. That's really good. You know, and the song, of course. Yeah, and that song. Get that on your iPod. So that pretty much wraps up this episode, The Beast Below. Uh, before we close out, I thought we'd do like kind of a roundup of immortal rules that we've seen so far, um, and we're gonna try to keep this like running total and we're, we're trying to cite them as we go like what episodes bring up what rules and because sometimes like these rules kind of go against each other like there's some contradictions and some things kind of get rewritten as we go um so i will go down the list and let us know what you think on facebook and twitter uh about all this stuff or write us at highlander rewatched at gmail.com one of the first rules is no two against one seems to be a rule and that was established in the gathering and then uh, another thing is you get a buzz uh, when an immortal is nearby. That's also from The Gathering. Um, it would seem that projectile weapons are allowed. That's in The Gathering as well. Right, because Slan has, like, the ballistic knife in right. his sword. Right. And then I believe also in that episode, they explore that immortals can't have children. So those are four epi- or four rules that are explicitly said in the first episode. I think a couple more are mentioned, but I cite them later in a different episode. Let's see. It's only for the first time you... It's only when the first time you die that you become immortal. And that was in the episode Freefall with Joan Jett, hmm. that you're not, like, you don't know about immortality until you have like a death for the first time. Right. The only way to die is to have your bo- uh, head severed from your body. Um, they probably say that, I think, in The Gathering, but it's explicit in the fifth episode, Freefall. Um, if you win The Gathering, you will have absolute power. Uh, that's also in Freefall. And the quickening is when you receive all the knowledge and strength of the other immortal. And then in the Sea Witch, we got another rule, which is you don't have to cut someone's head off to gain their quickening. There's another kind of part of this. Right. Because right. Uh, yeah. Voshin got his head cut off by a... Uh, propeller. Boat propeller. Yeah. And then a newer rule that we're not sure how it's going to play out quite yet is in the episode for Tomorrow We Die, it seems like you can get dismembered and those body parts don't grow back. Yeah, it does appear to be the case because mm-hmm. Xavier St. Cloud got hand chopped off by duncan hmm. uh also in that episode just to build on the concept of the projectile weapons apparently like things like gas are okay too it doesn't seem like there are any rules about how you fight another immortal you just have to take their head at the end yep did you mention holy ground keith i didn't mention holy ground maybe the most important rule <laughs> and that is in the gathering that's it definitely in the gathering i must have skipped that one so you cannot fight on holy ground and seemingly you can't even hurt mortals on holy ground maybe maybe that there's a good question mark on that but that's been the implication up to now certainly in band of brothers it seems like grayson doesn't doesn't go on holy, holy ground, ground. To, to hurt that guy yeah right he throws the knife at him right yeah yeah so that's our roundup so far we're going to keep adding to this if there's any rules you think we've missed in these early episodes write us an email let us know 
Uh, anyway, so that about does it. Uh, make sure to like us on Facebook, Highlander Rewatch, and definitely visit our page on iTunes. We always put links up to that in a lot of our Facebook posts. And make sure to rate us and share the podcast with your friends. Um, those ratings help us reach a bigger audience, and we want more people to get into the Highlander spirit, especially since it's going to be the 30th anniversary of the original Highlander film in 2016, which we're all really excited about. And hopefully there will be a new reboot movie coming soon. So, I think that about does it for this episode. Make sure to join us next week for the episode Saving Grace. I've been one of your rewatchers, Keith. I'm Kyle. Amen. Bye-bye. Bye. Get all done. Since the beginning of time. If nothing ever changes I wonder why Cause I feel Stop, stop. Why don't you take the spotlight off me entirely? <laughs> we just, just cut my fucking mic. <laughs> That's uh, awesome. That has to be it. Are we done? Yes. Okay. <laughs> I think that's good.